0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, because this is where the best run. So welcome. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from something called an exfiltration study released by McAfee a couple of years ago, but it is so appropriate. That's where my quote comes from. So let me just read this to you. Whether you see it or not, data exfiltration is a real risk for most organizations. And the title of the study, get this, is Grand Theft Data. I know it's a play on Grand Theft Auto, Data Exfiltration study Actors, Tactics, and Detection. So what are we talking about? The study examines the actors and the tactics used by criminals to obtain your and my protected health information and other sensitive data in addition to how do companies effectively detect and prevent this. The cyber attacks and data theft, the research shows, more than 40 percent is coming from, wait for it, Insiders. That's right, people working for your company. More than 40% of data breaches could be attributed to company insiders. So there's a couple of questions on the table today that my panel of experts are going to talk about. Number one, what is your HR team doing? Are you training your employees in what happens when they handle sensitive data? How do they know when the data is sensitive? What should they do about it? What about privacy for their information, for information that comes into the company? What about the culture of security? Two sides to this coin. How do you protect the data? And how do you protect your employees? Ah, that's where it gets interesting. So the experts speak. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let me tell you who my esteemed panelists are today. We have Sheila McGovern, principal in the Advisory Services practice of EY. That's Ernst and Young LLP. We'll hear from her in just a moment with her opening quote. Joining her, and Sheila's coming back. She was on a while ago. Newcomer from EpiUse, E-P-I-Dash-U-S-E America, Vice President of Data Privacy and Protection. Her name is Juliette Henry. And those of you who listen to my Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship show know that we have spoken to some people involved in EpiUse about ERP, elephants, rhinos, and people, technology for good purpose. So, very happy to have Juliet from another part of the company here with us. And rounding out the panel is the lady who put this panel together. It's a first time for her on Game Changers, Kim Leslie. If you want to look her up, L E S S L E Y. She is a director in solution management at SAP Success Factor. So, thank you to the The three of you for joining me, and let's get this party started. Sheila McGovern has sent us a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, 1858 to 1919, American statesman and writer. I didn't know he considered him a writer. Sheila considered himself a writer. He was the 26th president of the U.S. from 1901 to 1909. Very interesting. He was the 25th vice president in 1901 and the 33rd governor of New York from 1899 to 1900. And here is a a trivia question. Not too many. People know that Teddy Roosevelt is the fourth face at Mount Rushmore next to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. I think it was a question on Jeopardy! recently. Sheila McGovern, let me read the quote, and then you can tell us what it means. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Sheila McGovern, how are you? Hey, Bonnie. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So I absolutely
2: love this quote because I yeah. think that it sums up so many things, because what's so much more important are your, your motives and, and the fact that you care. That's even more important than what you know. Do you want to get a seat at the table? You have to have good motivations, and then the rest will come later. But um, So how it applies to this particular topic is when we think about data privacy, and in, particularly, in particular, when we think about some of the regulations, it brings a lot of fear in our hearts. You know, we're always saying things like, gosh, how can we make sure our companies don't get fined, and how can we make sure that the company's officers don't get jail over, you know, the, the data privacy breaches for employees? And the reality is it sort of hides the fact that all of this legislation around employee data privacy is all about how you care for your employees. It's the respect that you show for your employee and that you're taking appropriate care with their sensitive data. You're making them the owners of the data. You're making sure that they know how you're using their data and, um... Also, they, you, you give them the right to um, tell you that you, can, you, you can't continue to use their data as well as you're informing them if there's any data breaches. So I think that, you know, what's important about data privacy and the new legislation around it is that it's all about how you care about your employees as well as how you care about your customers.
1: Thank you, Sheila. Very interesting intro to our topic. Let me ask you a question from your experience, your expertise. Is it hard to tell employees that they have to think very carefully about whether the data they touch is sensitive, that they have to be careful? You know the standard, don't leave your your laptop open without a password and don't leave notes lying around and passwords. We've been through this for years. But when it comes to sensitive data, does this take special quote-unquote TLC, tender loving care, to get employees to really buy into the fact that the stakes are very high today if it's mishandled? What's your observation?
2: My observation is that people do understand it, okay? So I think when it comes to the employee data, particularly their own data, people do understand it, but they don't always know how their actions might be causing a risk. And it's uh, also, I think, one of the challenges is, while they do know, every time they go through training, they understand, and if you talk to them, it's not always ever present in their minds. So I think that's pretty much what what some of the challenges are.
1: Thank you very much. We have a lot more to learn from you, Sheila. Again, welcome back. Nice to hear your voice again. And let's go to our second panelist, newcomer Juliet Henry at EpiUse America. And Juliet has sent, sent us a quote from Corey Ten Boom. Let me read you a little background here. Cornelia. Arnolda, Johanna, Cory, nickname, T E N Boom, B O O M. 1892 to 1983, she was a Dutch watchmaker and a Christian who, along with her father and other family members, helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. She hid them in the closet. She was discovered and imprisoned for her actions. Her famous book, The Hiding Place, is a biography that recounts her family's efforts. So here is the quote. It's a long one. Listen up, it's worth the wait. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. What a beautiful quote. Juliet Henry, welcome to Game Changers. How are you?
3: I'm well. Thanks, Bonnie. How are you? I'm
1: fine, thank you. I love the quote. It's so deep. It's so, it's it's a, a quote for our lives, isn't it? Juliet, it applies. So, talk to me about how this relates to our topic today, please.
3: So, I um, sort of took a second glance at it, and I thought, I hope nobody and un- thinks that I'm saying don't worry about security of your data because I think you should. <laughs> but on the other Touché. hand, it's uh, <laughs> there's two two levels of this this quote. One is uh, for from a personal standpoint. Uh, anybody in security that I know that's any good at it is, tends to be a bit of a control freak and we like to control our future and we like to live in the future and make sure that it's, everything is going to happen the way we want it to happen. Uh, so from a personal level, it's a, a reminder to sort of live in the moment, live for today. But I think also um, from an overall business perspective, if you continue to worry about all the potential things that could happen, and you look at all the possible ways that things can go wrong with security and, and data breaches, you can become quite overwhelmed. It's terribly uh, daunting, all the things that you have to try and do to meet security requirements. Uh, and I think it can become numbing and uh, debilitating, and you need to try and tackle something, and you need to try and do it today. So don't, don't try and wait for the perfect solution to arrive, because it'll never arrive, it's like you have to get down to it today. So tackle something today, no matter how big or small, when it comes to security and privacy.
1: Very interesting. I, I did a show this morning, and one of the guests, Juliet, quoted General Creighton Abrams. And the quote was something about, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So I think we could tie that to this. Do you agree? Just do something now. Start, correct? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, Question. Is this keeping the C-suite awake at night for companies that have not had a breach that warrants top headlines? For, let's just say, quote unquote, your average company, although I don't know if any companies are really average anymore, if anybody wants to be accused of being average, are, are CEOs, CIOs, CFOs, CTOs, CMOs, there are so many C-suite chairs now, it must be a very crowded room, sorry for the sidebar, are they laying awake at night and saying, wow, era are big data volumes coming in, variety, veracity, velocity, oh my goodness, we really have to do something, how do we start, I'm worried we're going to have a breach any minute now. Is this keeping them awake or is it something they wait for the headlines to say, yikes, it could be us next? What what do you think, Juliet? I
3: think that they um, have to be living under a rock if they aren't aren't (laughs) worrying about it because um, you know, the... The, the word on the street is it's not about um, if it's going to happen. It's more about when it's going to happen. So that tends to be the, the mindset when it comes to data breaches. So, yeah, Thank they should you. be worried, and I think most of them are. Thank
1: you. And you borrowed my phrase. I like to say you must have been hiding under a rock, so you must have been listening <laughs> to some past shows. Thank you very much, Juliet. A lot more to learn from you coming up. And now let's go around the table one more notch to Kim Leslie, who I said put this panel together. And thank you, Kim. So far, we're doing great. And Kim has sent us a quote from Stephen King. I, I have to say that I'm sorry. But it's not from one of his scary books. It's from his book called On Writing. On Writing. A Memoir of the Craft, never heard of this, Kim, and let me just read a little bit on writing A Memoir of the Craft, is a memoir by American author Stephen King that describes his experience as a writer and his advice for aspiring writers, first published in 2000. It's his first book after being involved in a car accident the year before. Uh, Scribner republished the memoir as a 10th anniversary edition, including an updated reading list from him. And there are five sections. There's one, the CV, where he highlights events in his life that influenced his writing. Second chapter, what writing is, second section. Third is Toolbox, the mechanics of writing in English. On writing is his advice. And on living a postscript, where he talks about the effect of the accident on his life. Fascinating. Here is the quote. Get ready. The scariest moment is always just before you start. After that, things can only get better. Kim Leslie, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted. Thanks for putting this together. This is a fascinating topic, Kim. We talk about data privacy. We talk about cyber attacks on various game-changer shows, but I don't think we've ever done a deep dive like we're doing today with you and Juliet and Sheila, looking at the mechanics of what's happening inside of a company to protect themselves. So tell me about this wonderful quote. How does it relate to our topic?
4: All right. Well, first of all, on a personal level, I'm an eternal optimist, so I always like to look on the bright side of things and... When approached with something scary, I like to remind myself that taking that first step will help alleviate that fear. So once you take that first step, everything seems to get a little bit easier. It's not quite as scary as you thought it was going to be. So how this result uh, relates to this topic today is when I was thinking about it, it reminded me of uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, so the big Mm -hmm. regulation that came into effect in May of this year. Part of that regulation was this this fear of fines. So there's potential huge fines that come along with data breaches if you are in, found to be noncompliant with the GDPR. And in talking to customers, many of them were kind of incapacitated by the fear, just the thought that they could be faced by this huge fine, and the regulation is very complex, and there's a lot of different pieces to it, and you have to understand it, and whether it applies to you, and then how to implement it, and make sure your employees are trained, and the advice I would give to customers when I talk to them is just start. You need to make a start to ensure that you are being compliant because if you happen to be audited and found to be a noncompliance, it's going to be a lot better for you that you've made some sort of action, that you've taken some steps to be in compliance rather than just being paralyzed in fear and not doing anything and hoping that you'll never be discovered that you had a breach.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's that's absolutely great advice. I know that we go through training. I work at SAP as well, and I know we've gone through training on the use of data and leaving your laptop unattended and data privacy, uh, but we were affected by GDPR, Kim, in terms of SAP radio because you, you and Juliet and Sheila know that you had to give me a consent to use your photo and your bio on our guest directory and to use the words you send for the show, the roundtable statements, the prep work we did, to be able to use that and publish that. Before May 25th of this year, I did not need permission. It was implied, it was implicit that a guest who sent the deliverables deck to me was giving me the consent to use their picture, their bio, and their words. But now it has to be explicit, and we know we have to collect those. So uh, it certainly is present and accounted for. Do you think that fines are a great motivator, Kim? Is money the best motivator to get people to comply, or is it fear of headlines? What do you think?
4: Um, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. money is a big motivator for the organization um, to make sure that they're in compliance and headlines. They they go beyond just impacting um, the company from the fact that they're faced with a fine, but it could also lead to loss of you know customers, loss of trust in the company, um, and loss in sharehold share values. So it's uh, headlines combined with the fines are a big
1: big stick. For company. Thank you very much. Good. That's a reality check. We, we want to talk real real so that our people know we're, we're real people talking about what's going on in the real world. Yep. So if you're just joining us, our topic is HR, data privacy, and employee data beyond government regulations. And that's what we're discussing with Sheila McGovern at EY, Juliet Henry at EpiUse America, Kim Leslie at SAP SuccessFactors. Now we're going to go around the table and get to know our panelists a little bit better. Sheila McGovern, three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you today, please? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you? I'm looking at your photo and it's a wonderful smile. What gives you the energy to do what you do? And number three is what do you do? So update us on your role, please. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. And I will I promise to remember all three of those questions.
1: So I will repeat um, them if you I don't. I've had I had a guest who couldn't remember the third one the other day and I repeated them, no problem.
2: Okay. Um So I'm from Philadelphia, but today I think I'm in one of the best places a person could be. I'm at the Harley-Davidson Museum. I am working today, but this is the most visited place in Milwaukee. It's really, really incredible. Um, So this is, uh, we're having a a work event. Um, And so my drink, my favorite drink, this uh, tends to be something that rotates, but at the moment, my favorite drink is kombucha. And like many great things, it's something that's very, very old that that has gotten recycled and is now the next new great thing. And it's fermented tea. It's got a um, bunch of health benefits and, you know, it's also just a way to drink more water. Um, so I, I really love it and I would recommend to everyone to to give it a try. Okay. And then number three, what do I do for yes. a living? So yep. I lead the um, Agile Business People Practice at EY and what we do is, We help companies to transform their HR function based upon the SuccessFactors technology.
1: Thank you very much. I have to do a little background here. You said you're at the Harley-Davidson Museum in Milwaukee, correct, Sheila? Mm
2: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. The museum opened to the public on July 12, 2008 on a 20-acre site in the Menomani Valley. It was built in a historically Mm -hmm. industrial area. Prior to Harley Davidson's purchase of the land, it was used by the Milwaukee Department of Public Works sand and salt companies. Very, very interesting. They added a layer of soil to combat the contaminated soil and planted new trees. And the museum designs were unveiled in February 2006. An estimated 300,000 visitors go there annually. So you're certainly in good company, and how exciting for you. Thank you very much, Sheila. Good reference. And now let's go around the table to Juliet Henry. Same three questions. Where in the world are you? What do you love to drink? And what do you do?
3: Um, I am completely spoiled today. I am in the very scenic um, offices of SAP in Hudson Yards in New York City. Mm-hmm. And the day is gorgeous outside and the views are spectacular. Um, I'm also at a work event here and just it's just a fabulous, fabulous location. Um, in terms of my favorite drink, I have to go back to an experience that I had when I was traveling in Scotland with a friend uh, just off one of the main touristy thoroughfares there was this lovely little cafe and I had an Edinburgh mist which is an earl grey tea steamed milk and vanilla and anybody who knows me for more than five minutes knows that I drink tea all day long so that was uh, that's pretty much a spectacular memorable drink with the fact that it had a Slice of apple pie alongside it didn't didn't harm the image at all. <laughs> in terms of what I do, I um, I head up a team of fantastic consultants at APUS America that um, works in that work in security and GRC implementations. We do um, we guide clients to help to be help them to be compliant. Um, so advisory services and focusing on more and more on data privacy nowadays and and the new regulations and helping clients wrap their head around it and get their systems compliant.
1: Thank you very much. I'm still looking. Oh, I see an Edinburgh fog recipe. A genius kitchen, I'm not seeing the mist. How to make a London Fog Earl Grey Latte. Is that the one? Is that close enough? I think.
3: Yeah, I think it was uh, the Edinburgh's version of a London Fog. (laughs) Here we go. It
1: says your Earl Grey tea just got a lot more exciting. Okay, they want to know if I'm over 18. No, they want to know if I have cookies. Um, Let's see. We made a cup of the Wintry Warmer, uh, which bears a passing resemblance to sipping a marshmallow. Is that what it sounds? Is that
3: what it tastes like? Oh, it's good. Yes, it's that good. <laughs> Earl, Grey it's a good
1: Earl Grey Teeth. Earl Grey tea. steamed milk and vanilla, created in Vancouver but popularized in the city of Victoria on Vancouver Island on Canada's western coast. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting drink. Appreciate that. Kim Leslie, there's no pressure on you to come up with an equally fascinating drink. I just want to know three questions. Where in the world are you today? What do you love to drink? What's your passion to put in a cup or a glass somewhere? And what's your role at SAP Success? factors
4: all right well i am in lovely overcast seattle washington uh working for my home office today i also have a lovely view but it's uh, like i said it's overcast um my favorite drink is probably water i drink it all day long but um when i'm not drinking water i do have this one drink that i'm really looking forward to it's a i have this bottle of um Sparkling wine from Karma Vineyards. Uh, it's a little vineyard of, uh, near Lake Chelan in Washington State. And the reason that one's special to me is because it reminds me of the the ladies' weekend um, I took with uh, several of my girlfriends, where we went over to uh, the to Lake Chelan and we uh, we went wine tasting. We had a lot of laughs and we probably spent too, money, too much money at the different
1: uh, vineyards. Um, as probably easy do. to do. That's probably very easy to do if they're good vineyards, oh, right? It is, yes.
4: <laughs> and as for what I do, so I work in solution management here at SuccessFactors, and our group is responsible for coming up with the positioning and messaging around our solutions, so helping customers and partners understand the
1: different the value you can get from our different solutions. So that's what I do. Thank you very much. Nice to meet all three of you. And I am drinking water because they, quote unquote, that's a corporate. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and also because I have a cough. So water is the only con, the only sensible thing to be drinking today. Sorry about that. And I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. Beautiful sunny day. We've jumped from. 90-degree end of summer a couple weeks ago, down to 38 degrees at night. It was very fast and very furious, but it's still beautiful out. And I have a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water with a little ice in it to soothe my throat. And I have a pink straw because I'm happy that the sun is shining, and I hope to feel in the pink again soon. So if you're listening to us, if you're just tuning in, this is Changing the Game with HR Radio. Shout-out to our panelists, Kim Leslie, for putting together the topic in the panel. We're going to take a quick break, 90 seconds. Don't even think of touching your mouse, your app, your dial. We'll be right back. Aaron out.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology and compliant operations, to hiring, developing and cultivating a culture of success, SAP SuccessFactors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor. And learn what is working and what has to change. All to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN.
2: Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to changing the game with HR.
1: Yes, indeed, we're back, and it's an important topic for every company of any size, shape, or footprint around the world, any industry, HR, data privacy, and employee data beyond government regulations. How do you train your employees to keep data they handle safe? And how do you protect their data and the data you take in from customers, prospects, businesses, partners? It's all about data today and how can you make it secure? Speaking today with Sheila McGovern at EY, Juliet Henry at Epiuse America, and Kim Leslie at SAP. We're going to kick off the roundtable for for real now. I'm looking at statements Sheila McGovern sent me before the show. Let me read one. Sheila will expand it for about two minutes, and then she'll pass the baton over to Juliet, who will pass the baton over to Kim. So let's see where we go with this. First topic, trends in the workplace are contributing to more risk. All of these factors, I'll read a couple of them, contribute to more points of entry, more people with potential access to sensitive information. So we're talking about the amount of processes across functions, that's the digital transformation. We're talking about multiple generations in the workforce who may or may not have different levels of tech use savvy, talking about increased globalization of businesses, talking about remote employees who access information from mobile devices, and, of course, we have some breaches in the news. So, Sheila, why don't you expand us and tell us what this all means to our topic today?
2: Sure, sure. So, you know, some companies still operate this way, but I would say that, you know, when I first started out, um, the norm was you reported to work, you know, you sat at the same desk every day and you had your filing cabinets and Mm -hmm. and, uh, with keys to it, and then you logged on to the company's applications with a company-owned computer on your desk, and that, that computer never left.
1: That's
2: right. Well. Um, You know, there certainly were some challenges with that, but as a general rule, there wasn't as big of a risk with data privacy uh, getting outside of the network. Things have changed a lot, okay, you know, based upon some of the things, Bonnie, that you said with the multiple generations and the global workforce and things like that. But I would say that, you know, there's a couple of key key things that are are making more points of entry and more points of exit. So, number one, and we all know this, uh, everybody... Accesses company applications with remote with devices. Sometimes they're personal devices. Sometimes they work issue devices. But the reality is, we've got people accessing applications from everywhere on all different kinds of devices. That's that's one big thing. The second thing is that you know we're we're working in a a environment that's very disruptive, and innovation is the key to survival for companies. So what we're seeing is a lot more collaboration. So, what that means is information is being shared across a lot of employees, regardless of level. It's being shared with customers in some cases because we want to get their thoughts on things, being shared with business partners, and being shared with contractors. So, now you've got a whole new set of people that now have access to information. And thirdly, and this is something that, you know, in some cases companies are encouraging their employees to go out on LinkedIn and to go out on Twitter and Yammer and all those various other other applications and social media outlets but also people are on Facebook and and the variety of things that they they want to do socially so the combination of those three things means that you've got more points of entry and you've also got more points of exit so there's that's why there's a lot more risk in the mark in the workplace today Um, I was
1: I was so intrigued the way you you started talking about the the way we many of us came to work in the beginning yes there was a computer the Mm -hmm. company owned it that was the only access you had Data wasn't flying right. in from everywhere. Unstructured data, wild data, crazy data, everything, uh, email and intranet. We just didn't have it. So we did. So this is something that is, is coming of age now. The newer generations in the workforce, and we know there are at least five generations, maybe six side by side today. The newer generations are used to this. The older generations, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And that was another point you said in your, in your pointer, multiple generations in the workforce with different expectations. So that's another right. challenge for training, right? Sheila. Mhm. Exactly. Definitely. Okay. Let's see what Juliet. Thank you. Let's see what Juliet Henry has to say on this. Juliet, talk to us.
3: So, in terms of points of entry, Sheila was focusing a lot on, on the individual users. But I've I've come from an IT background, so from my perspective, I look at the HR systems. An environment overall, and you've got a lot of systems. HR payroll has a very large footprint of data. Uh, You may have, for example, your central HR system, but then you may have a cloud solution to provide you with training management and performance management, for example, a third-party payroll, a different time and clocking system. Uh, You need to report to government agencies. You need to send... um, you know, the the payroll information to the bank. There's people using ESS and MSS, or so there's a self-service, manager self-service and employee self-service applications through some sort of portal. It might be a mobile app. Um, they've got their own devices, which Sheila mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Reporting that goes to a different system, benefits providers that are, you know, benefits company organizations. where And every single one of these systems has a copy of the employee's data, and that just means that the proliferation of the HR payroll data and personal data is vast, and to try and wrap your your head around all of that and try and manage all of it can be an extremely daunting task, so lots of points of entry and exit of data um, coming in and out of your HR systems. Thank you
1: very much. Kim Leslie, SAP Success Factors, join us. What are your thoughts on what the other two panelists just shared? Um, thanks, Bonnie. So, another thing I wanted to
4: point out is that um, data is everywhere in an organization. And though mm-hmm. that Sheila and Juliet were rightly talking about HR data, and for example, in the payroll system, in the time clocking system, and things like that, one area where sometimes people may overlook or not think about as much is email. So much data is exchanged over email and not just, let's say, files that you might send, which is an issue because obviously if you're sending data between system to system, you know, through a a secure integration, chances are that your IT department has got the security pretty much down and everything, um, breaches are probably rare. but. A lot of times, and I think probably everyone on this call and most people listening, have had cases where they've gotten a spreadsheet um, that has data that could be sensitive and has forwarded it on to, let's say, another team member because they wanted some input on something or because they wanted to share it because it was an mm-hmm. interesting fact in there and, and it was useful to their work. So there's those kinds of things that are getting shared and IT has no idea of how much of that data is being shared Not to mention if people then happen to use their personal email accounts, whether on accident or on purpose. I know for in my case, for example, at one point I had five different emails attached to my one Outlook account, and so I had to be very careful when I was sending an email which account I was sending it from. So another easy way um, to make a mistake. Um, And a final point on data and email and, and, and privacy and things like that this is also the unintentional one. Well, a lot of this is unintentional, but say, let's say a well-meaning employee knows that it's another colleague's birthday and they want to send a, you know, let that person have a nice birthday. So they send out an email to the entire broad team saying, "Hey, it's Juliet's birthday today. It'd be really great if you send her a birthday greetings." Now, very nice, well-intentioned, but you are actually passing on. Juliet's personal data now to this larger group of people without her consent. So it just goes to the point that a lot of times employees are trying to do the right thing, um, but they may be putting data at risk without knowing about it.
1: Very interesting point, Kim. I'm I'm looking at the Twitter stream. We've got Sherri-Ann Meyer, who, who used to do a, a series with me a couple of years ago, and Sherri-Ann just wrote on Twitter, my teenagers slept with their cell phones in their hands to protect their personal lives. I sure hope they're as protective, <laughs> protective of all of our data as they enter the workplace. Bravo, Sherri-Ann. That's a good reality check. <laughs> i'm going to go around the table a little bit to juliet uh henry and julian i'm looking at something here we've been looking at this i think so far ladies from the point of view of how to how to treat your employees and we're thinking honest integrity team players knowing what the company needs knowing who they are we we've been thinking of the good guys okay and now I want to move that aside. I'm looking at some notes here from Julie. We're going to go to the other side. She says, desperate people take desperate chances. How does a good employee go rogue? Everyone has a limit to what might push them over to the quote-unquote dark side. So let's talk about when the insiders, as I mentioned in the McAfee report in the opening, the insiders, exfiltration, the insiders are the ones who are willfully Bringing that data out, sending it out, using it for some kind of purpose—they're—they're they're breaching. How does an employee go rogue? So let, let's do a dive into that dark side of the topic. Juliet, I'm going to let you start it, and then I'll invite Kim to join join us, and then we'll have Sheila. So, Juliet, tell me more, please.
3: Yeah, this is a tough one because you know you want to trust your employees, but at the end of the day, you don't know what they're going through on a personal level, which might just push them over to that. That point where they're like, it's worth it taking the risk to defraud the company that I work for, or, um, or to steal the data and sell it somewhere else, misuse that data. Um, and I think you know we were talking about how HR should they just be involved in only training people, or what is the greater responsibility around HR department for for employees and keeping that and keeping employee data uh, private. Um, I think, you know, if you don't have the well-being of your employees at heart and you don't provide them the means to be able to reach out when they're they're struggling with difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. on a personal level, it can be all too tempting if you haven't locked down your systems properly. And this obviously is one thing that you want to do, is you want to try and lock down your systems as best as possible so that people can't, um, you know, perpetrate fraud within the organization and steal from the company. But if they do have that opportunity and, and they've gotten to that point of desperation, uh, everybody has their price. Um, so, yeah, I think HR can certainly help to foster employee loyalty and, and decrease the chances of tempting people uh, to the dark side.
1: Very interesting. Let's talk to Kim Leslie at Success Factors. Kim, what do you think? Um, I, well, I agree with Juliet um,
4: that employees tend to go rogue when they're disgruntled or unhappy in their in their work. And usually there are some signs before an employee goes rogue or loses engagement or gets frustrated in their work. And the first line of defense could and perhaps should be their managers. So, as we all know, um, people stay in organizations because of the teams they work with. And they leave organizations because of the managers they work for. So Mm -hmm. I think managers could go a long way into helping ensure that their employees stay engaged. And it could be as simple as just checking in with the employee on a regular basis and making sure that they're not overloaded at work or there's nothing going on in their personal lives that might be um, causing disruption. Um, Of course, not all managers are, you know, empathetic or have this personality to carry that kind of thing off. And and some managers have already gone rogue themselves. So that's where I Mm. think IT also needs to look at how managers are doing, um, for example, through employee surveys. You know, obviously, most companies perform surveys at least annually, although I think the trend is going to much more often about employee engagement. And those include questions not only on on whether the employee understands the the company's objectives and believes in the leadership and all that, but there's usually some questions, too, about their direct management. Um, So anyway, giving these employees outlets to express their their frustrations and having managers be more in tune to their employees, because I think can go a long way into stopping employees from going rogue.
1: And we're gonna. We could also talk about the background checks a little bit more. But uh, let's see what yeah. Sheila McGovern has to say in terms of thoroughly knowing who are you hiring, and that becomes a challenge, Sheila, when you have an external workforce: gig workers, contractors, consultants, SOW-based people, uh, seasonal, temporary, in and out. How do you know who they are, mm-hmm. Sheila? Join us. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I would say in
2: this sort of, you know builds upon what was said by by Juliet and Kim is that um, I think it's very important to stay close to your your employees and to do very thorough reference checks. And um, I do think that in the case of trying to predict or prevent this type of rogue behavior, um, I think that you have to rely on technology for that. And HR plays a role in helping to determine what is ethical about this. So I think that, you know, in some cases you could start to... You know, in addition to these employee engagement surveys, you can also start collecting information about the activities that are happening on your network. And this could be from your contractors. This could be from your business partners and customers, um, whoever is on your network, to start to build patterns. Um, And they do have, you know, Mm -hmm. in some of the cases, some of these very innovative technologies in in the artificial intelligence and cognitive um, arenas. They they have algorithms that can determine um, the emotion of words based upon word choice. And, and machine learning can build a database of, of behaviors and what leads to what particular outcomes. And I think that companies can start to understand what kind of behaviors take place before a particular data breach. And I think HR's role in that is in, number one, how do you address it? Number two, what's ethical in terms of what you collect about your employees as they are you know, going about their business? Um, so that that's what I think
1: it's really rounding out the whole employee engagement and reference checking. Thank you very much. Any quick comments, Julia, before I move on to something from Kim?
3: Um I think Sheila's point is brilliant is so mm-hmm. you know there's a study that says um your computers can know you better than your closest friends and family. They can predict your behavior better, and it seems like it might be far-fetched that you can use these kinds of algorithms um, to monitor your employees and, and see if they're becoming disgruntled and stressed out. Um, it's a it's a really good way of using technology that is that is out there um, and the artificial intelligence. Community is certainly looking into the ethics of AI as well so that's it's a it's a very relevant and up and coming space indeed
1: it is, and as I'm listening to the three of you speak, I'm wondering about quote unquote Knowing too much about your employees. Is that going to be mm-hmm. something, a specter that could rear its head in the workplace? Profiling your employees, having algorithms to observe what they're tweeting, what they're emailing, to whom they're speaking, how many external emails, what they're attaching. Let's just go around the, around the panel for a second here. I'm going to start with uh, you, Kim Leslie, because you're up next. Kim, what do you think? Is, is there this specter of Big brother, big sister, big mommy, big daddy in the workplace wanting to know too much to prevent Rogue? What do you think?
4: Um, I think so. So I think there's two sides to it. Obviously, the organization wants to be able to do that so they can predict and and prevent um, breaches mm-hmm. of data privacy. Um, however, on the other side, I think they have to be cautious because if we look at, for example, the backlash at, at Organizations like Facebook and Mm Cambridge Analytica using data nefariously. So taking data, owning too much of it. I think there's this backlash in the market today about personal data on sites like that. So I think the next step would be um, to turn that same sort of frustration or fear um, on their employer. So not wanting the employer to have information about every aspect of their life because they're afraid of what they would do with that. Oh, yeah,
2: oh, yeah. Sheila, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's a very, very good point, um, and I do think that it would be HR's job to ensure that what was being done was ethical. So, you know, one suggestion could be how diversity statistics are used, right? So um, diversity statistics are used more at the aggregate level. They're not necessarily kept with the individual, and so some of this um, information gathering could be done and the person is taken away from it, but maybe it could be rolled up by department. You know, for instance, we're, we're seeing a lot of stress-inducing words in this one particular department, so we better, you know, address that problem there. So I'd say, you know, go with maybe looking at the data at the aggregate level, and then if we have absolute proof that a particular behavior does lead to a data breach, okay, this would happen if we have been running these algorithms for a very long time then only in that particular case would you go to the individual. You would unblind the individual.
1: Interesting, interesting. Juliette Henry, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think organizations have to be particularly cautious about um, getting over-enthusiastic about what they monitor. Um, things like social media accounts, etc., are actually considered personal data under GDPR, so you cannot... Um, also monitor for information and use it against the employee for performance reasons so you know usage of the internet while at work you have to be very cautious as to to what you do with that information once you have it
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. We're almost up to our predictions round our crystal ball, but I want to give Kim Leslie a chance. Kim, you had so many interesting points here. Let's just talk about the angst in society in general. You say people are increasingly fed up with their personal information being leaked, you, you mentioned we mentioned, um, Analytica. We well, you mentioned Facebook, of course. But look at the case of the Equifax breach in the U.S. last year. 143 million people may have had their names, their social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, even credit card numbers. That's scary. And driver's licenses revealed spread around we, we we cringe don't we kim when we get the news mm-hmm. that there's been a breach and we often don't know about it till what weeks or months later what do you think absolutely
4: yeah there's statistics out there about how long it takes before a breach is even discovered um so for for the equifax i believe they knew about it for nine months before the public was even notified um so terrible um so yes it, i think it's more and more top of mind um because it's in the headlines more and more. So people are starting to hear, okay, my data is leaked. And what does that mean to me? Um, and more and more people you've talked to, you can find that they've had their identity stolen. Um, for example, when I was, a few years ago, I had an American Express card that was breached and didn't mm. find out about it until I got my bill and I found out that someone was spending $30,000 on various um, items, such as this is in in the UK, they went to an amusement park, they bought stuff at an electronics store and all this kinds of stuff. So it really brings it to the individual's attention. They're much more focused on it. And with that said, I think that there is um, there's always been a heightened sense of the need for data privacy and data security in other cultures. So I think we need to be careful when we talk about data privacy and data security that we don't take a US centric approach or a North America centric approach to it. So for example, um, our friends in the in the in the UK, in the UK and Europe, I should say, more broadly, they have they see that the right to data privacy is similar to our right to free speech. So it's just one of their inherent rights as citizens of the European Union that their data should be protected and shouldn't be exposed. So um, it's just more and more prevalent, and I think people are more and more focused on it. And they're wanting their organization. So as an employee, as an employee, I want to make sure that my employer is treating my data respectfully, and they're not selling it to some other organization, or it's not being leaked and used for some other purposes. Kind of like we just talked about um, in the last question when you asked about. Companies um, collecting all sorts of personal data about their employees, about their social media
1: use and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely more and more at the forefront of employees' minds. Thank you very much, Kim. This is such a multi-layer topic. I know we've just scratched the surface, but it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Sheila McGovern, I'm ready for you. 60 seconds, please. Look into the crystal ball. Let's see what you think will be coming up or down the pike, up or down the road, downstream, upstream, whatever. Let's say between now and 2025, anytime you pick, what will change, if anything, about data privacy, employee data, how HR teams, departments, units are helping and manage, to manage employee relationships with data on the good, bad, or the ugly side. Sheila, all yours, 60 seconds. Sure.
2: Sure. So what I think is going to happen in the future is that companies are
1: no longer going
2: to own employee data. Employees are going to own their own data, and they're going oh. to take it where they need, where they're going to own it. It's going to be ratified data, and think of it as a you know people data blockchain. I think that's something that's gonna be coming down the pike so that a an employee is has complete control over who accesses their data under what circumstances and it will take the responsibility away from the companies and it will also put the responsibility on the person that cares the most about it.
1: So I think that's Thank- what we'll see in the future. Thank you. Good one. Juliet Henry, Epiuse America. Talk to me, sixty seconds. Go.
3: That was interesting, Sheila, because that was the topic of conversation in the car this morning on the way here. Um, My prediction here is uh, looking at the younger generation of today, they have a really different perspective on uh, data and data privacy, and they behave quite differently. Um, They live their lives online, and and they know that they shouldn't give out their personal data. I see them creating multiple accounts in social media under different personas to suit their needs for each one. So um, I think that... This idea of clinging to one single identifier for life, such as a social security number or national ID, for example, is, is quite antiquated. So my prediction is that I think we're going to replace those static IDs in the future with sort of individually generated codes for each sort of application uh, needs. We may have a different personal ID identifier for, say, the doctor versus the pharmacy versus the bank. So when we come to doing a credit check, we'll will, we will need to somehow get those all uh, matched up. Thank you. And 60 seconds for Kim
1: Leslie. Go.
4: All right. Uh, my prediction for the future is that Um, machine learning and augmented analytics will be used more and more frequently to help identify data breaches and also help um, predict them before they happen by monitoring um, trends, so like semantical data that people are using um, in their regular work and different trends of different patterns of activities and what transactions they're doing, um, performance reviews, so if they score low, you know, that may be a a trend that they can look at versus also absenteeism and things like that. So I think the augmented augmented analytics and machine learning will be able to pull all these different pieces of data together and be able to
1: predict where there could be a potential
4: breach in future.
1: Thank you very much. And I want to quickly, before I wrap up here, I've got another minute and a half, I want to read some of the tweets. Sherry Ann Meyer, very actively listening. Thank you, Sherry Ann. We miss you. She says, The golden rule of data privacy, good management of employee and business data is a give-and-take, treat your employees well and they will more than likely feel accountable and responsible to treat your data well, prevent rogue behavior with great employee engagement. And then she says, do you think HR should loosen the reins on the HR data and let business use the data intelligently and safely? Isn't it possible that could actually prevent more data breaches as non- HR workforce tries to find answers to costs and staffing. That's interesting. And Patty Fletcher, who's the sponsor of this series, says, it's true, and this has nothing to do with generations. Millennials often get blamed. Everything to do with a talent economy shift toward power in the person and a deep individual desire to impact. One size has never fit all. Now people are not tolerating that. Thank you, Sherri-Ann. Thank you, Patty Fletcher. Thank you to my three panelists, Sheila McGovern at EY, Julian Henry at EpiUse America, Kim Leslie at SAP Success Factors, just about ready to wrap up. And of course, always to Aaron, my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. Aaron knows when I cough to mute me, and he's been wonderful about that. I've been keeping him running. So here is my attempt at a closing Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Sheila McGovern at EY, just like Juliet Henry at EpiUse America, and of course, just like Kim Leslie at SAP Success Factors signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.